You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey everybody, this is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC, on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now, and I hope you'll consider subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Today's guest on the podcast is a guy I've known for a while, but he's a first-time guest. It's Tony Annan, Academy Director of Atlanta United. How are you today, Tony? Very well. Good morning. There's nothing like a 25-degree temperature drop in three days to uh, signal fall is here. I love it. (laughs) Does it remind you of home a little bit? A summer back home? Yeah, this is summer. Not even, this is summer at home, yeah. Yeah. Cloudy and gray and no sunshine. There you go. So you've been now in Atlanta for, I think, 20 years or the metro Atlanta area. Is that correct? 24. 24 years. What brought you here originally? Uh, I came over here and uh, played college soccer. So I came over, I went to Kentucky. Spent a year in Kentucky and decided I was, uh, it wasn't for me and I was heading home and I stopped in Atlanta for two weeks before my flight and I never left. Oh, wow. And I missed, <laughs> missed the flight and never left. <clears throat> so, so what was in. keeping you in Atlanta? What, what, what engaged you? Uh, Buckhead. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, some good looking girls and just, I liked the South. I, I liked it. I just didn't want to leave and the Olympics was coming and... I ended up transferring, instead of going home, I ended up transferring universities to play university soccer at Life University. Here in okay. And uh, my first apartment was right in the middle of field three. Was it seriously? Seriously, 1995, oh, so full circle. <laughs> well, this area's changed a little bit since then, huh? Yes, for the better, I think. <laughs> it was quite rough back then, so it's, it's getting better and better. So then you, you started to work with youth soccer. In the metro Atlanta area. Yeah, as soon as I transferred to Life, uh, a coach at Life was working at Concord Fire. So he pulled me in there and I started coaching straight away. And then when I finished my degree, uh, Concord Fire wanted me to stay on as a director of coaching. So they sponsored my visa and it all started from then, from 1998. And then that has now transitioned you into... Academy director at Atlanta United. You were at first management uh, manager, mm-hmm. right? And then, but then that changed within I think six months yeah. uh, to academy director. Correct. So your roles and responsibilities in that position. What would you? How would you characterize that? Um, it's just changed again, really, because now I'm off the field, which is for the mm-hmm. first time in 23 years I've been not a head coach of an age group, um, which is strange, <laughs> and I'm dealing with that. But now my role has kind of evolved to 
managing the staff, coaching education, individual development, which is very, very important to us. Of the players or the coaches? Of both. Okay. But my remit with the players is now individual development. So taking our prospects, Mm -hmm. giving them extra, doing extra with them and trying to push and accelerate their development, Uh, but also managing the staff's development as well. They've got personal development plans as well. So that and now also working closely with Glassy on um, the roster of the USL, you know, the access that academy kids have to train and play, sort mm-hmm. of managing their minutes with the USL mm-hmm. and just helping Stephen understand the landscape of USL as well. So my role has expanded, even though I'm still called the academy director. Mm-hmm. Um, it's expanded within the club. And I feel like I'm obviously achieving more in different areas rather than just standing on the sideline and moving a team up and down the sideline, which is what I've been doing the last few years, as well as everything else. So it's really tough to be a director and manage people and manage the program's details if you're invested in a group of players, Mm -hmm. because that takes pretty much all day, every day. So that's it's been double pass coming through as standardised the academy director needs to be off the field. Okay. So, Some quick numbers on Atlanta United's academy. Uh, nine players have signed homegrown contracts, six with Atlanta United and three with Atlanta United 2, which plays in the USL and is coached by Stephen Glass, sometimes called Glassy, uh, which you just heard Tony say. Um, there are seven teams in the academy uh, starting at uh, U12 or under 12 uh, through under 19. Uh, in addition to the seven academy teams, there is a regional development uh, group in which the kids go and work out in regions and try to work their way onto the academy teams. Is that correct? Yeah, so regional development schools are part of a different sort of section of the club. Okay. But they are placed now all over the city um, where kids can get additional training with our method and Mm -hmm. with our coaching. Um, And we've taken two kids from those programs into our U12s this year. So it's just another way for us to identify players, number one, Mm -hmm. but also obviously put our brand and the way we work out in the community. So the RDS, as we call it, is uh, really taken off and it's sold out pretty much everywhere. That's cool. So what is your method? You just mentioned method. Uh, Our method is the word you use. What is that method? Just our style of coaching Mm -hmm. and uh, our delivery of our sort of curriculum and principles of the game and how they're taught in a structured environment. Um, it's obviously different for the academy kids because we have more principles of play. We have a diff- we have periodization, so we can peak at certain times of the year. We mm-hmm. don't overload the kids, and but in the RDS, they just take it's one day a week, so they take the way that we implement our training sessions, mm-hmm. and they take it out into the community and push it out that way. And I believe y'all have had more than 30 kids sign scholarships uh, with colleges. Is that correct also? Yeah, I think we're 30, 31, 34. 34. 34 kids that have all gone D1. One kid went to JUCO, uh, junior college, just for grades. Um, but basically, I think 33 of them have all gone Division One and enjoying good college careers. So how many in a year, if you can estimate, how many kids do you think y'all scout? Uh, in Georgia and the Southeast because I know that the MLS has like scouting areas yeah I mean obviously MLS has free territories mm-hmm. where there's not an MLS team with a territory we have a full time academy scout now um, that was added last year 
and we have some per diem guys that are mm-hmm. out in the community and obviously being in soccer for so long a network of people that pass you players and sort of tell you about players mm-hmm. is um, is really unreal how many players get passed on to us um, we've also got the portal that is on Atlanta United's Academy website mm-hmm. um, where a child can go on fill in I would like to be looked at and mm-hmm. here's my stats here's this and the other I think as soon as we opened that portal there was 800 applications oh wow <clears throat> that somebody had to sift through and see if there were any, <laughs> any good players in there but physically I think we probably scout between two or three hundred guys a season okay um, at different levels tournaments um, obviously games when they come play here we it's an idea ODP comes here mm-hmm. and trains here so we obviously have a look at that as well so yeah we cast a pretty big net because we want to see the best players we can mm-hmm. um but now that our scouting system's being built out, I think we'll be able to get eyes on more players in more areas in the future. So how many of those kids <clears throat> get to take that next step, get get a tryout, and then get to sign? What would you put the number of percentage on? Um, it's a small percentage. It's not a huge percentage. Right. Obviously, you cast a wide net, and then you narrow it down. Mm-hmm. Um, but we bring in... I would say we bring in probably over 100 kids per season mm-hmm. to do trials mm-hmm. and spend time with us. And of that 100, probably 5 to 10 kids get invited to be full-time with the academy. Okay. So that gives you an idea of sort of... We're not looking for 20 guys per age group right. because we have guys that we're very happy with and mm-hmm. that are in the process of our development. But we've got to try and add the best players we can who have the potential to be a professional player mm-hmm. and obviously we place the education piece very highly so if they're not going to be a pro we'd like them to go to college and maybe come out a pro or just come out of college and be a better person so mm-hmm. that's why we cast our net so wide to see if we could find those players and once <clears> the <throat> kids are in the academy how many hours a week do y'all get to spend training them in how many hours a week do they spend, I guess, soccer out... Or are they even allowed to do soccer outside of Atlanta United's Academy? With a club team or... No. High school team or something? When they are registered to the day and they're full-time, mm-hmm. they can't play high school soccer, they okay. can't play club soccer. You know, if they want to do anything else, they have to seek permission. Okay. Uh, we invest a lot of money mm-hmm. in per player um, over a year, so obviously we try to manage their load... Um, if we have, if the sta- if the training sessions are periodized for a certain time of the year, and then they go off and do their own thing, they can get injured. We've had a few guys go and do extra training outside of here and got injured outside of here. Mm. Therefore, they miss their development time when they're here. So right. They spend between the youngest kids spend about six to eight hours a week with us. Okay, um, that's the twelves, and then as they get older, and they do a little bit more and a little bit more. Um, obviously video comes into it strength training comes into it as they get older mm-hmm. so I would say our 15 through 19s probably spend I would say 10 hours in training and another 2 or 3 with games Okay. so I would say we're aiming for 12 to 13 hours a week of intense high level training Is that enough do you think? Yes as they grow because we've got to obviously limit limit the injuries as mm-hmm. well. Because if they get injured, they miss development time off the field. So 
I think we're right in line with certain European clubs now. Okay. When we're hitting that 10, 12 mark a week. Um, some of our kids that we call our prospects that have been earmarked as prospects, talent prospects, mm-hmm. they get a little extra as well with an individual program. Um, and they're selected by their performance. Mm-hmm. Um, they obviously get a little bit extra here and there, like an hour or two extra a week, which mm-hmm. is where they they hone in on their individual objectives to try and work on their strengths and their weaknesses mm-hmm. to give them every chance of being a professional player. What is, if I have a kid playing soccer, what is the number one thing they have to be able to do or have to be considered uh, for even one of the regional things? Well, the regional things are open. You just go to the tryouts and... I guess to, to have success at the regional thing. What is the number one thing they've, they've um, done? For me, at, certain, at younger ages, it's technique. Okay. Technique, technique, technique at younger ages. It's, I'm not worried about tactics. I'm not worried about size, athletic prowess at younger ages. We have a lot of small kids in here that mm-hmm. we're hoping will kick on. Mm-hmm. Um, but technique, decision-making, intrinsic motivation mm. are the three things that we look for when we're looking at players. Are they intrinsically motivated? Do they carry themselves in a certain way? Is their character good? Mm-hmm. Are they good people? Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, great technicians with the ball, but decision-makers as well on mm-hmm. the field, clever mm-hmm. players, are the ones that stand out the most. Other than that, I mean, you could be this a specimen of a player mm-hmm. and fast and big and strong but if you can't control pass and move and make a decision then you've got a limited sort of right. period where you will dominate so hmm. that sounds familiar I think I dominated at U10 and that was pretty much it for me <laughs> I was motivated I just didn't have a whole lot else after that <laughs> talent will only take you so far that is true that is true so what has been, do you think, your biggest success story with the Academy so far? I know that y'all, y'all have two pieces of, of major hardware that the Academy teams have won. I believe two. I don't, I don't think I'm missing any. Am I? We have a few, but two big ones, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Well, what is your, your most satisfying success story so far? Um, to be honest, none of, them, none of them are trophies. Okay. As far as success stories... Obviously, winning a national championship is nice. It's a big thing. It was the first trophy in the cabinet downstairs. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't judge winning trophies as success. Okay. I think that's just the gravy okay. underneath everything. Um, obviously, the 14s going to Man City and uh, the Man City Cup, that was great for them and it was a really big springboard for them. But the success comes down to production of players. And You've got Bello going from academy in that national championship team to the USL to the first team and scoring on the first team. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, he got injured, which held him back a little bit, but now he's back again. Mm-hmm. That's a big success story for the academy. Okay, It's, it's what we're about. It's what, what we need to do mm-hmm. on a constant basis. George Bello, um, George Campbell... Right, Jackson Conway, mm-hmm. who I've had since they were 12 years old, mm-hmm. and they've stayed with me wherever I've been. Um, them, them coming through academy and going into USL contracts and homegrown contracts, those are successes for me. Putting 31 kids in college scholarship 
on good college scholarships, mm-hmm. not just walking on in academics, soccer money too. Mm-hmm. Those are success stories for mm-hmm. me. Um, even I look at kids going into the cancer wards all during September on a weekly basis at 6.30 a.m. Mm-hmm. You're asking 17-year-olds to get out of bed and go visit kids in a cancer ward. Those are success stories mm-hmm. for me. So trophies and accolades and those pieces of gravy. It's what substance do you have to say we are doing things the right way. We don't always win. We lose a fair few games by mm-hmm. experiment, not by pushing kids on. Mm-hmm having 14 kids involved in USL in the last 12 months, six of which have been playing in games and playing 90 minutes. Mm -hmm. Those are the academy success stories. It's not really about beating somebody 5-0 and saying we're top of the league. Right Now, we've done that. We've told our story. But now we have to judge our success on production and how we do things and who we are. I was going to ask you about George Campbell. I've watched him play... A little bit with Atlanta United too. I got to see him firsthand uh, during the um, MLS All Star Showcase uh, down in Orlando when they played uh, Atletico Madrid, and he looked just fantastic. Uh, he, he looked, you know, the, the cliche that a grown man among boys, but that's what he looked like because he's such a big kid. You could tell he's still kind of growing into his body a little bit, kind of figuring out coordination as he grows into his body. But if you could just tell uh, people a little bit about. You know, people, Miles Robinson has got everyone excited this year because he sat kind of on the sidelines for two years, watched, trained. I think people are kind of having that expectation for Campbell uh, now that he's played with Atlanta United 2 a lot and he's got his homegrown contract that will take effect uh, 2020, January 1st, 2020. Tell people a little bit about Campbell and what you've seen from him as he's developed from, you said, 12 years old until now. Yeah. Um, George is a really big satisfying story for me and for many different reasons um, he came from Philly Union when he was 12 because his family moved here and the Philly scout said to me yeah no problem I, I don't ever see him making it hmm. and I actually told George that when he was probably 14 or 15 he got very upset about that but I used it as kind of a motivation stick for him it's like look these guys said you weren't good enough and now I'm telling you you are but if you ask me about George at 15, I would tell you I'd be 50-50 whether he'd sign a professional contract. Hmm. Um, Why was that? Uncoordinated. <laughs> still. Gangly. Awkward. Talented, but quiet, shy. Just He didn't say, I'm a professional to you as a youth development guy. Okay. Um, and to be honest, he was always probably 16th, 17th man on the roster. Okay. Which is a great story. Right. right. He's got a growth mindset which allowed him to continue to be, for want of a better word, knocked down by not starting, by not being the starter, by not being the main guy. Mm-hmm. Never played on the national championship team, but a few minutes here, a few minutes there. Was sub on the 17 team a lot. Didn't really know where to play him. Was he a six? Was he a nine? Was he a centre back? So these are all the things that George has gone through uh, during these five, six years, right? And then we went to Mexico uh, two years ago and our centre-back drank the water. (laughs) Uh, And we were struggling. And we were like, what are we going to do? And 
honestly, I'll give Liam Curran the credit for this, because a goalkeeper coach, a very good one, said, put George there. I said, yeah, George is a bit of a six, though, and he goes, no, but put, put George there. So we put him back at centre-back, and he was fantastic. Hmm. He, I think it was Pachuca, who was the top team in Mexico, and he snuffed them out, and he did really well, and that was it. Oh. He was a centre-back from that moment <laughs> onwards. And yes, I have the expectations for George, as, as Miles has grown through college. George is going to skip that step and be in an intense environment like this, where he's playing year-round. And technically, and I think he's probably ahead of where Miles was when Miles was his age. Okay. Miles worked very hard on his game, and obviously the, the rewards are showing now. But I do put George in that mould, and I would love to see George given a chance with the first team to see where he's at, mm-hmm. even though he's still only 18 years old. Mm-hmm. So he's one of those, if, you, if anybody wants to be inspired by somebody, it's George. Because okay. he was down on the roster, we didn't know where he was going. Obviously, Maryland seen something in him, offered him a scholarship, he turned that down to come play professionally. But for me, he's the, one of the biggest success stories individually that we could possibly hope for. And hopefully, he gets a shot and he takes his shot when he gets it. Yeah, well, that's fantastic. Now, you have, I was just reading about uh, one of your coaches is going to France to that uh, immersive licensing program mm. over there. You went through that. I did. There's been a lot of talk about the difficulty it takes for people to get licensed as, as soccer coaches. Um, what is your take on, on if, that, if you think that is accurate, and if it is, what needs to be done so that more people can become better soccer coaches and help develop you know, future, possibly, MLS players? Yeah, obviously the French license is one where you have to be with an MLS club to get on it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very, very intense course. It does change you as a person and a coach, for the better, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Both myself and Matt Lowry, who works here as mm-hmm. academy manager, we've both been on it. So we're hopeful for Steve, and he's, I think he's going to do really well on it. I have this conversation with a lot of different people about coaching licences, and... I go back and forth. If you are what you say you are and you love the game and you, this means everything to you, which a lot of people do say who coach, then honestly, you'll find the time and the money to do it. Mm-hmm. It's the same in Europe. If you go on the UEFA badges, you have to find the time and they're not cheap to do it because they're very good courses. Mm-hmm. I think the US courses have gotten better um, and have really made strides forward with their methodology um, but I don't buy or I don't always buy well I can't do that because I can't take four or five days off work because I work for a living mm-hmm. alright well what do you do with your holidays if this is what it means to you then would you not take your holiday time to go do it that's just an argument I have with people Right now I get some people cannot do it nor can they afford it <clears throat> but again can you do something to educate yourself other than a license? Mm-hmm. You know, we offer free education here. There's a lot of free education out there to go watch other people coach, to go watch other people do sessions. Costs nothing. Um, so that's my argument to them. It's, it's licenses are they show that you're into it. They show that you are able to do what you say you are, and the commitment that you give by doing a license is to show that it means that's much to you. 
but there's also education out there for free that you can get. It just means time and sometimes a little bit of money, but more time than anything else. Okay. So I think the courses have come a long way. I think it's not always easy, but I think if you really want it, there's always a way to find how to do it. Okay. Let's say I'm a, a parent teaching my, uh, I'm coaching my under six kid mm-hmm. on his soccer team. What is the, like, one or two things that you would encourage them to work with the kids on just so that they can, you know, keep a love for the game, develop a love for the game? Well, number one, if they're under six, there's no way you should be teaching them anything. Okay. <laughs> well, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Let them play. Okay. Let them play. Get out of the way and let them play. Okay, under 10s then. Let's say under 10s. What would, what would be the thing? I'm still there. I'm still letting let them play. Let them play? Just Look, touching te- the ball? Technique. Technique. Fun, fun activities that teach technique, that teach decision making without you telling them how to do it. Mm-hmm. Let them play. They have tons of time. Six, seven, eight, nine. They've got so much time to learn the game. Mm-hmm. They need to love the game. They need to just be free to enjoy the game and kind of learn themselves. Mm-hmm. Guided discovery is the technique I would use if I ever went back. And I've got my kids two and a half right now. So and my daughter's four and she's just getting into it as well. And if I ever have to go back and coach them, I would set activities up that encouraged fun, love for the game, but also try to help their technique and make decisions for themselves and stay quiet and let them ask questions and you ask them questions that help them learn the game. But I see sometimes when I go around um, and I watch soccer and the kids are being told when to pass, what foot to pass with, and that isn't teaching them the game. Okay. That's taking away their ability to make a decision. Okay. And inevitably... If you're going to be a good soccer player, you must be able to make decisions in a split second. So, I know that's a long-winded answer. No, that's fine. At young, at young ages, make it fun, let them play, and let them enjoy the game. Because they'll learn themselves how to play. They'll police themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the time they get into academies, and listen, there's a lot of good academies around Atlanta who do a lot of good work, who are very organised, and some mm-hmm. very good people teaching. Um but the structure really doesn't need to be... A big structure doesn't need to be in place until they get past 9, 10 years old. I don't think. So scrimmaging is fine at that age. It's just short side where they can just touch the ball over yeah, and over. small-sided scrimmages is the best way of teaching the game. Okay. As long as it's small-sided, it's not 7v7, mm-hmm. where they touch the ball every five minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they need to be 3v3, 4v4, where... It's me, the ball, and my teammate, mm-hmm. or me and my two teammates with the ball. Mm-hmm. That will teach them so much about technique, decision-making, time on the ball, and it will give them multiple touches in multiple situations. But if you take that eight-year-old and you put him in a 10v10 scrimmage, he's going to touch a ball every couple of minutes, and it's right. not going to be that much fun. Right. So I'm a big proponent of small-sided at younger ages because it's tighter, the more touches on the ball, more decisions to make, and it's fun. And when you say technique, a lot of people that listen to this podcast may think they understand technique. When you say technique, what exactly is it you're referring to? How they trap the ball? How they pass the ball? The ability to control and pass the ball and have confidence to do so. That's 
the first techniques and they'll learn other techniques as they get older which is clipping the ball you know lofted passes bending the ball mm-hmm. those are all advanced techniques that will come as they learn the game but them them being able to control and pass and dribble mm-hmm. under control at young ages is really the essence of the game okay. control pass and move if they can do that and make decisions and they've got some sort of athletic ability they'll be okay. okay they'll have a career in the game at some level what is the future of MLS academies do you think what do you see them looking like and being in 10 years for example um, I think they'll only go from strength to strength I think teams are now realising the investment you can make in your youth academies that will produce homegrowns that you can sell like Alfonso and people like that mm-hmm. That's uh, Alfonso Davies of Vancouver. Davies, yeah. Uh, hopefully, one day we sell George Bello for 10, 15 million, maybe. Then the investment's obviously justified. But I don't see them going away. I don't see people going backwards from what they're doing. Mm-hmm. In the last five years, the investment that's been made by pretty much every team in the league, you know, I think the minimum budget for a, the lowest academy in MLS right now is probably. 800000 to a $1 million. That's a big investment mm-hmm. every year. You've got some that are investing $4 million, you know, So anywhere between a $1 million and $4 million per year in 145 players. Some academies start at 14. Some start at 12. Um, some are realising that they don't need under-19 teams and because of their USL team. We haven't decided to do that because we feel like U19 is important. Um but I don't see them going away. I just see them getting more structure, more strength, better coaching, better resources, and I think they just keep adding to it. I mean, you look at Miami coming in. They've started with a full academy. They're building a full facility. Um, LA. All of these academies that are now coming through are well-structured and well-supported and have mass resources behind them. So I just think it'll go from strength to strength and hopefully we'll produce more homegrown talent alright Tony how can people find you on social media uh, I'm on Twitter <laughs> Tony Annan 1 I'm on Instagram Tony Annan 1 um, that's pretty much all the social media I do <laughs> what is coming up for the academies that, that you would like to discuss or, or promote to use lack of a better word uh, we've got Trip to Toronto this weekend for the GA Cup, which is the MLS only tournament. Mm-hmm. We play Cincinnati and Columbus Crew with the 17s, and the 15s play New York City, Toronto, and Crew. Uh, they have three games up there. So that's our next big thing. And then the 17s go to Colombia to play Deportivo and Nacional when they come back from there. And then we head down to, and then we got into Miami in town the week after that so we've got a busy few weeks so heading into the break in December all right well Tony thank you very much for being on the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast again this is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal Constitution you can find me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now and please consider subscribing to the Atlanta Journal Constitution
In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC.